This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. Hey, and one more thing. If you love the show and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. So today we're here to study UFC Francis Ngannou versus Junior Dos Santos. In Ngannou, you have the gigantic and athletic raw counterboxer versus the smaller but more experienced yet shop-worn offensive boxer in JDS. Paul, would you agree with my assessment of the two? The only thing I would change from your assessment, Sam, is when you say that Ngannou is a counterboxer. I would say he's more of a counter puncher. There's still things he lacks in boxing, but hey man, punches solve everything if you could connect. So let's break this down. What was new for Francis Ngannou in this fight? Well, at the outset, I saw welterweight champion Kamaru Usman in Ngannou's corner, along with the usual Dewey Cooper, and this time with extreme couture coach Eric Nixick. So more staff this time, and he's no longer at UFC PI only. Now he's also training at Extreme Couture. And his coach from France is also missing. So this all tells me that he spent all his time in Vegas in a real camp with a staff and a team behind him. So with all that in the lead up to the fight, what is this fight going to look like? And right away, what this fight was going to look like was calf kicks. I think because Nganu is such a counter-striker, that's where he's more comfortable. He needs strikes from the outside while he's waiting for big counters. So this is what his camp must have come up with. This is not so much a game plan. I don't think Nganu has game plans yet or is ready for elaborate game plans. And I don't even think he should have game plans. He's still very green. So just teach him how to fight and teach him to fight based on his preferences. So kicks, I think, were more of a new toy for Nganu, And in throwing them, he was just playing with his new toy. But as he was loading his weight to kick, JDS chopped his leg out from underneath him. Though Nganu got up quickly and threw out some powerful strikes just blind into the air just to keep JDS away. And coming from Nganu, even a blind haymaker can hurt you coming in. Also in this fight, Nganu was more aggressive. He was very timid in his fight with Derek Lewis. And even with his next fights with Curtis Blades and Cain Velasquez, he allowed them to come to him. But Nganu began pressing JDS into the cage and came at him with wide hooks. And they were all missing, but Nganu was no longer afraid to mix it up. But he's still not as effective leading. And quickly, even his leg kicks were starting to get countered. And then, without any real setup from Nganu, or feints, or craftiness, there's JDS's head right in front of him, because he just whiffed on an overhand. Similar to what Alistair Overeem did, except the Reem clinched right away, only to be KO'd later. But JDS was so out of position, 
he even ended up having his back to Nganu and got punched from behind. So initially, when his head was just there for the taking for Nganu, the initial counter just grazed JDS. It was the shots from behind and from the floor that ended the fight in 1 minute and 11 seconds of round 1. Nganu hits hard and is instinctive with his counters, but this was no trap. There was a golden opportunity and Nganu just seized it. And this was a very winnable fight for JDS. So what the hell happened, Paul? So the writing's been on the wall for JDS for quite some time. And last night was further proof that his recent win streak was due more to favorable matchups than an overall change in strategy. JDS is first and foremost a boxer. And with that comes hands. That is one of the best in the division. I'd say he's slightly better than Stipe Miocic, the former champion, due to his versatility in strikes and being able to dictate the pace much more with this jab. Now, standing at 6'4 with the 77-inch reach, he's not the biggest or the strongest within the division, but his skill sets with just hands is enough to give everyone problems. Now, I wrote about before in the preview about the tools and the things that JDS does well. And one of the highlights is obviously is his jab. Now, his jab can be used as his sword, his shield, and his spear. And much like the middleweight champion Robert Whitaker and Bellator welterweight champ Rory McDonald, Dos Santos uses his lead hand from the orthodox stance to bounce in and out and set up future strikes. More fighters can learn from JDS just to develop a strong jabbing game to build upon their foundation of striking as well as setting up future strikes down the line. Where JDS differs slightly is that he will go downstairs to your stomach far more frequently and mix in straight punches to the abdomen. When you consider the success of fighters like John Jones and Max Holloway, they target the body specifically and more fighters should follow suit. Now, Dos Santos does this, but he does it with less commitment at close range. Because John Jones and Max Holloway both rely on either hooks to the body or knees, they're always going to need to get in close in order to hurt you to the body. Whereas with JDS, it's that jab that's able to sap away at your energy levels by constantly targeting the midsection. And unlike your head, where you can move it offline and evade the strikes, it's harder to move your body. Most of the time, you absorb it. And even in training, when you learn to evade body strikes, it's either to block with your forearms or get out the way. There's no, oh, this is the right place to absorb the strike. It's just, if you get hit, you get hit. Just don't take too many of those. And the way Dos Santos is effective with his body jabs is that he'll put his entire body into it and he moves beautifully in a straight line. And it makes that normal jab much more potent and it gets the attention of the opponents right away. And once you start overreacting to the body jabs, you drop your hands, you either move out the way and it sets up beautifully for that overhand right. Now, he's caught a lot of guys with just that move alone. It doesn't matter whether you're a former champ or former champs, I should say, Kane Velasquez and Stipe Miocic or another fellow brawler like Derek Lewis. The problem is against Engano, this proved to be a mistake. Not so much in strategy, but just in execution. Now, I'm sure you've noticed that JDS will constantly keep his lead arm low 
because it'll make it quicker to throw jabs to the body, but he sacrifices defensive positions to do so. This is evident every time he throws power strikes, especially the overhand right. If you look at JDS's most recent fight before Engano, it was against Derek Lewis. Now against Derek Lewis, Dos Santos cracked him hard, but when he went for a follow-up, Lewis countered quickly with his own right uppercut, and it caught JDS clean and caused him to disengage. Against Engano, he ate a hook when he was off balance after swinging, and that started the beginning of the end. This is a bad habit of JDS, and it's been there for a while. In most of his highlight reel losses, you can see it, especially the last two of Kane's and both Stipe fights. Now, it could be a habit that he picked up fighting smaller guys, but either way, when you're competing against heavyweights, it's something he should have course corrected a long time ago. Sam, you mentioned about how JDS threw that kick and he timed it perfectly and it buckled in Gano. And it's great. And it's part of a larger strategy where JDS will throw kicks naked without setups. And it works because he's inviting you to throw hands so he can get into these exchanges. It's okay in theory, but the kick should be lower in nature. So that way your hands are ready and able to counter strike right away when the opponent commits to a striking battle. But sometimes when you just start throwing kicks high and you have no real setups after, this is where you can get caught. It was more prevalent in the Derek Lewis fight when JDS will throw kicks, but he's not ready for Black Beast to come back and counter. Against Ngannou, JDS's best strike was the kick that he threw where he buckled Ngannou because he didn't really land anything of significance afterwards. Now, these are all issues, but the biggest one that JDS constantly does is his footwork or lack thereof. So we talk about what a great boxer JDS is and how well he moves in a straight line. But when he has to commit side to side lateral movements or even a defensive postures, this is where he falls short because even against Nganu, he would back up straight away. And even though his back didn't hit the cage, it was perilously close. And only then did JDS start circling out. And in the Nganu fight, JDS's footwork seems slightly improved. But just like his kicks, it's something that he added a few new tricks to, but there's no real overhaul. And at 35, this doesn't seem likely to change. And it's frustrating because this was a very winnable fight for JDS. There are things that Nganu does and that are still question marks that JDS can take advantage of. No one really thinks twice about, can JDS go the distance? Yeah, he can absolutely go 25 full minutes. He can hit you from different angles and he could do it all night. Whereas against Stipe, and even Derek Lewis to a certain degree, you can clearly see that Nganu gets tired because working from that counter-strike mentality, he's always on that hair trigger where even just a couple of feints will can throw him off and has thrown him off. So JDS has shown, okay, if I stick to the game plan of committing to strikes to the body to tire out Nganu even faster, throwing in more kicks with setup so that way it limits the mobility, I could take away some of the big weapons that Engano has. And if it's a five-round fight, I can definitely tire him out, drag him to deep waters, and knock him out. But we saw that at the moment when JDS found some opening, he threw that overhand, 
got caught, stayed there too long. And Ngannou has an 83-inch reach. He's going to clip you with something, whether it's an uppercut or a hook. And in this case, the moment JDS swung too hard, he got clipped, turned his back, and that was the beginning of the end. In the future, I would like to see him against other strikers to commit more to body strikes, setting up kicks, making sure that he's never in one position for too long. He commits to footwork. And before he has his back against the fence, he'll circle out immediately. This is something that strikers like Max Holloway does very well, as well as guys like Frankie Edgar. And there's something to be said about learning from your peers. Ngannou's biggest threat, which creates finishes like this for him often, is fear. He said it himself. He's like Mike Tyson. People fear him so much that there's an immediate 50-point drop in Fight IQ. And you're so afraid of getting hit, you end up throwing shots from way too far out and out of position. And you're so nervous, you have so much nervous energy, you end up throwing way harder than you anticipated, which further puts you out of position. And since Nganu is so powerful, he doesn't have to hit you perfectly or even from a good angle to hurt you. Meaning, if you threw yourself out of position and he's also out of position to hit you, doesn't matter because even out of position, Nganu will hurt you. He just needs to connect, even with an arm punch. So, with beating two former champions and the streak he was on before anyway, I agree with what he said at the end of the fight. He deserves another title shot. Now, this is the only fight that we covered out of this card because a lot of the good fights were removed from this card and added to next week's card, which is just completely stacked. What are some of the fights coming up next week in the pay-per-view? So the main card is stacked. You have John Jones defending his title against Thiago Santos, Amanda Nunez defending her bantamweight title against Holly Holm, a matchup between Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren, a light heavyweight matchup where... John Blakowicz is fighting Luke Rockhold, and Diego Sanchez is facing off against Michael Chiesa. And I think even in the prelims, you have Gilbert Melendez versus Arnold Allen. Correct. So other than that, Paul, do you have anything you're working on? So the preview for the UFC 239 main card should be done before the 4th of July weekend, and I'll be covering the three main fights. So it will be slightly extended. Because I want to make sure that I give proper attention to all the fighters. With that said, so long and goodbye. Take care.